Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, it's Kevin Hart. In this basketball season, Chase Freedom Unlimited is helping me cash back all my game tickets. Plus, tickets for 23 of my biggest fans to cheer me on while I enjoy the game. Your I appreciate the support, people. Eat that pretzel. This will never get old. Use more napkins. Okay, this is starting to get old. Say the tagline. Cash back like a pro. With Chase Freedom Unlimited. Chase, make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. The Volume. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same-game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, Dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. You guys know how high I am on Boston. And as you can tell from my shirt, I have no incentive to be high on Boston. I'm not necessarily a Lakers fan. I've just been covering them for the last couple of years. A lot of the people who follow the show, a lot of the people that follow me on Twitter are Lakers fans um, just from the last couple of years. My 
uh, my adoption, so to speak, of this Boston Celtics team has nothing to do with, uh, you know, some sort of non-basketball incentive. It's strictly the fact that, as I said last night, and to quote that colonism, I don't care about being right. I just want to get things right. That's my goal for this show is to, as a analytical approach in terms of actually looking at evidence, film evidence, statistical evidence, I want to give you guys the best basketball analyst uh, analysis that I can. And over the course of the season, I watched 30 basketball teams play in the NBA. Uh, the one on my shirt looked like a horrific basketball team. And the team that wore green and uh, called themselves the Boston Celtics was very clearly better than everybody. And that's why I quote unquote adopted them as my title favorite. It was strictly a basketball take. That's all it is. And what's funny is I'm not as high on Boston as some of the evidence would suggest. Like I talked about at length over the course of the last couple of weeks, from January 23rd on, Boston wasn't just the best team in basketball. They were the best team in basketball by a country mile. Nobody was close. They were way better than everybody on defense, and they were better than everybody on offense. And so the question becomes, why don't they just blow out everybody? Well, they did for a while there towards the end of the regular season. But like I've talked about, a lot of the Boston offense stuff was fool's gold compared to what happens in a playoff environment. They have some very, very clear offensive weaknesses as it comes to, as it pertains to decision making. So that's why I call them the Jekyll and Hyde team of this playoff run. They have some really low lows. Their floor is probably lower than any floor in this final four teams. But their ceiling is higher than any of these four teams because their defense is pretty reliable. Game one was a defensive outlier. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. But their defense, I've never lost faith in. However, their offense can go through these extended stretches where they're terrible, which we've talked about a lot. But when it clicks, when they do have it going on offense, they're literally unbeatable. And they took a very good Miami Heat team that is extremely well coached, a Miami Heat team that thoroughly understands the stakes of that game. Eric Spolstra, Pat Riley, everybody in that locker room is thoroughly aware of how important it was for them to take a 2-0 lead on the, the Boston Celtics tonight. And they got their ass kicked. They got completely and utterly outclassed because Boston threw their best punch. Boston's not always going to throw their best punch, and we're going to get into that. But this is what that looks like. And what you guys saw tonight is exactly why I've been so confident in this team. It is, again, not a take for the sake of a take. It's just basketball analysis. If any of you guys have watched enough NBA basketball this year, and you know if your team, in this case, the team I covered, the Lakers, is out of the picture, you probably agree with me. Because if you've been watching the tape and you've been paying attention to the numbers, they're irrefutable. They're undeniable. Boston has been the best team in basketball pretty much since the turn of the calendar. And this is what it looks like when all those things click. So let's get into the weeds of the X's and O's a little bit. The video that I made yesterday, or today, I suppose I released it today, but I started making it yesterday. I talked about Boston's defensive scheme and the two different schemes that they run. And to be clear, they run both schemes for very specific reasons. You know, I ran into this a lot when I was dealing with the Lakers and Frank Vogel and some of the archaic schemes that he would run. 
There is no such thing as a scheme that doesn't work when it's executed properly. Everything works well when it's executed properly, right? I mean, even a 2-3 zone, when run properly, can be an extremely difficult defense to score on. It just so happens that different defensive schemes work better in different matchups. So, you know, for instance, if you're playing against a team like Dallas, giving up too many switches can be a bad thing because they're so good at attacking switches, right? So you're kind of playing into Dallas's strengths when you do that. Andrew Wiggins did an amazing job trying to avoid switches with Luka as much as possible last night. He only did so when he absolutely had to. We're going to dive into that further later. But the point is, is like against a team like Dallas, you might be better off running some different types of coverages, some traditional coverages, right? But, you know, against teams like Phoenix, or against teams like Phoenix, against teams like Boston, against teams like Golden State, against teams like Miami, a different coverage might work in each of those instances. Now, what happened in game one was Boston came out and ran a drop coverage. We've broken that down a million times on the show. I'm not going to get into it again. The gist of it is, is the big sits down lower, lower than the screen. And so if the guard comes off and catches the defender on the screen, he's going to get a clean look. And I showed you guys extensive evidence. Again, follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT, and you'll see the video that I released. It's under the branding that says Tim's tape, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Play by play, the way game one turned on Boston giving Miami wide open jump shots coming off of these screens. And they did it again to start tonight. And the reason why Ime Udoka does that has to do with Robert Williams. One of the things that, you know, Boston does a ton of switching, and they did a ton of switching for most of the last six months. But they do mix and drop. And they've almost exclusively done it with Robert Williams and Al Horford on the floor. The reason why is simple. They love having Robert Williams on the back line. Now, what typically happens with NBA defenses and NBA offenses is they drag your big man up to the level of the screen by running high pick and roll with a guard that can shoot, right? It's a great way to get the big out of the paint. The problem is, what if you've got two bigs that can do that but still thrive on the perimeter the way that Al Horford can. Well, what Boston does is they have Al Horford defend the screen actions. He's more agile, so he can be up at the screen better, right? And if for whatever reason he has to switch, he's capable of guarding in isolation situations. And then if there is a roll man or anything going to the basket, there's Robert Williams waiting on the back line. That's why they do that. The problem is, is that more often than not, Miami's getting the Boston guards caught on that screen. Al Horford is just a step too low and they're getting clean looks coming off of that. And so again, it's not that that coverage is inherently flawed. It's about the matchup. Miami is a very good basketball team on certain facets. They're extremely well coached. They have an amazing front office. They're very well managed from the top down, right? They have a really good offensive fulcrum in Jimmy Butler, a superstar. And he was pretty damn good again tonight, right? This was like one of his lesser playoff games, and he was really, really good. And then outside of that, they have a ton of defensive talent, right? Even, you know, guys like Gabe Vincent, they 
they aren't necessarily freak talents in terms of their length and size, but what they are is they're sturdy and they compete. And so they're difficult to beat off, to knock off their spot or to beat off the dribble. And then Bam Adebayo is one of the best defensive players in the NBA. P.J. Tucker is one of the best defensive wings in the NBA. And Jimmy Butler is one of the best defensive wings in the NBA. So they have great defensive talent. A lot of guys who can shoot and great coaching, great upper management. What's one thing they do not have? They do not have multiple guys that can create their own shot. Once upon a time, that was Victor Oladipo. Not anymore. He needs a ball screen now pretty much. Tyler Harrow is okay if he gets a really good mismatch, but for the most part, he's going to thrive when he can get an advantage coming off a screen. Duncan Robinson almost exclusively spotting up and coming off of screens. Gabe Vincent and Max Struess almost exclusively spotting up and coming off of screens. You guys get the point. That's what the way that Miami's roster is built, their specific weakness is dribble creation. The advantage of a switching scheme is it tests your dribble creation. We literally saw in game one, Miami go to it a super aggressive switching help, you know, aggressive help, lots of switching, lots of ball pressure, lots of playing the passing lanes in the second half of game one in Boston, who has a tendency to go through extended stretches where their ball handling is poor, they completely fell apart. And what I thought was so interesting tonight is they came out in that first quarter and started with Robert Williams and Al Horford and came out running their drop and Miami was getting great looks. And they had a lead early. I think they were up 21-17. Or actually, they had a bigger lead than that at one point. I think they were up 18-8. to eight. But then right around, I think it was right around the four, three or four-minute mark of the first quarter, Grant Williams checks in for Rob Williams. They instantly start switching everything. And suddenly, Miami can't score. And Boston immediately goes on a 17-0 run. Now, to be clear, later in the game, they had stretches with Robert Williams that went well. Because again, when they run their drop coverage and they do it well, it works. In the video I presented to you guys, I showed examples of how early in the game, they did a good job of blowing up those dribble handoffs by staying attached to the offensive player. But it's exhausting. And they went through an extended stretch after that where they kept dying on the screens and that when Miami got going. Obviously, when they do it right, it works. It's just more difficult. And it plays into Miami's strengths. Whereas when you switch everything, it tests their specific weakness. And when you do that to a team that has less talent than you, now you're going to have a big advantage. Whereas in game one, when you play directly into their strengths, even though they're less talented than you, if they happen to get hot and make shots and you happen to have one of your bad offensive nights, you get blown out. And I've always thought this was super interesting because... I, I, I think it's stubbornness, I would imagine. But for whatever reason, this particular screen, scheme, this switching scheme, is still way too slow to be adopted in the NBA. Almost every NBA team now is switching guard actions or switching wing actions. But there's nowhere near enough switching involving bigs. And it's just, it's just super interesting to me how slow, how slow these teams are to adopt that. There are a couple of uh, other interesting things that I thought Boston weaponized in this game to get going. They got going in transition off of turnovers. Again, Miami is a great defensive team. And even though Boston played really well tonight, offensively shot the ball really well, they will have moments in the series when they don't. And you do want to try to avoid Miami's half-court defense. Tonight, 
20 points off of turnovers. Look at my look at Milwaukee and how they stayed alive in the last round, even though they got utterly bludgeoned in the half court by Boston. They only scored 82 points per 100 possessions in the half court last round, but they stole three games by staying out of the half court, by getting out in transition, and magnifying their possessions in game five by getting a boatload of offensive rebounds. Those swing factors that surround the static half court environment are great ways to bolster your chances of winning. Them forcing turnovers and getting out of transition is the difference between this being a close game that Boston wins and a safe game that Boston utterly destroys them. It's what allows you to weather yet another strong Jimmy Butler performance. Again, when you do, especially when you go to those switching schemes, you expect Jimmy to have some success. He's going to attack Marcus Smart. He's going to attack Al Horford. He's going to attack Peyton Pritchard. When Derek White gets back, he's going to attack Derek White. And he's going to have some big scoring nights in this series. He already has. I think he's averaging like 35 or something stupid like that through two games. But everyone else is going to struggle. I've shared some clips from this game. There's a huge difference between what Tyler Harrow looks like trying to beat people off the dribble compared to what he looks like when he's coming off of screens and he's free to fire. And, you know, they're so much better than Miami that it might not matter. I expect Boston to win the next two games, and then I give them a good chance to win game five. But I wouldn't be surprised if Miami won game five if Boston didn't play as well. I mean, but like again, if you're a Miami fan, and I know there's some of you listening, like, Boston shot the shit out of the basketball. They shot the laces off the basketball. I get that. I get that you're sitting there thinking, man, they made everything. And there are going to be nights where they don't. Like, if Boston goes into Miami in game five and loses, it'll probably be because they don't shoot well and they don't take care of the basketball and they kind of replicate some of the things from game one. That's why I picked Miami to drag this series out to six, even though I think Miami is significantly worse in terms of talent. But the reality is, is there is a cumulative ball handling and scoring and passing and overall offensive ability advantage that massively favors Boston on the offensive end. There's a cumulative athleticism and strength and ability to cover ground and all those things that favors Boston on the defensive end. So even if some shooting stuff goes your way, they're just going to win. They're just better. You know, the cumulative ball handling is so important in these five out concepts. You know, because it's not so much about what Tatum can do or what Jimmy Butler can do. It's what everyone else can do when Jimmy Butler or Tatum draws the second defender, kicks to an open shooter, and the defense starts rotating. Really good defenses will never give up the driving kick to the sing the first shot, or very rarely. The Utah Jazz, garbage-ass defense. Remember them in the first round? When like Jalen Brunson would beat one guy to the dribble and quick kick to Maxi Kleber, there'd be no, no rotation, wide open three. Yeah, that doesn't happen often against really good defenses. What actually happens is you have to break them down in multiple rotations. And that is where the cumulative ball handling and the cumulative shooting and the cumulative basketball IQ of your lineups becomes your advantage. In a small sample size, like game one, Miami's going to have the capability of winning in a small sample size. Bad coverage idea from Ime Yudoka, too much drop. Marcus Smart being out of the game. We're going to talk about him in just a second. Obviously, Al Horford being out of the game. You 
then a small sample size, it can go either way. But in any large sample size in a seven-game series, if a team has a massive advantage on offense in ball handling and shooting and passing and size and athleticism, and then we go to the other side, and Boston has a massive advantage in size and athleticism and, and commitment to the defensive end, like, I mean, Miami's just as committed, but Boston just has better players. So they're, they're just going to win in any sort of large sample size, barring injury or some sort of you know crazy circumstance. I want to talk about Marcus Smart and Al Horford for a second because they were vitally important on a bunch of different levels. Marcus Smart, I believe he had like, I, can't, I don't have the box score in front of me, but I think he had like 22 and 12 assists tonight. That's a huge influx that raises that cumulative ball handling and athleticism. That's how valuable he is on that front. He is very good at chasing guys over the top of screens and can defend in switches. So he's a defensive weapon. That's a huge loss from game one. Al Horford, we talked about extensively. You know, so coming into tonight, Boston was averaging 11.1 points more per 100 possessions on offense with Robert Williams off the floor. The main reason why is the same concept I've talked about a million times on the show. Vertical spacing is a real thing, but it's nowhere near as effective as perimeter spacing because perimeter spacing is what gives guys comfortable, makes guys comfortable driving to the basket. With Robert Williams on the floor, the spacing is worse. Bam is pretty much consistently around the basket, and it just makes things harder. Now, their defense is better with Rob Williams. He's an amazing shot blocker who has a lot of ability to cover ground. They're about six points better in this postseason on defense without Rob Williams, or with Rob Williams versus without. But when you're 11 points better on offense without him, that's when they're at their best. But Al Horford is what unlocks that. Because Daniel Tice is the guy that can shoot, but no one guards. Al Horford gets left open a lot, but like he's deadly out there. It's just a critical mistake to leave him open. And so having Al Horford back, one, so they can, they can run Ime Udoka's desired drop coverage with Rob Williams on the back line, which, again, was terrible to start the game, had some successful stretches later. It's not my favorite strategy for Boston in this series, but it does work when it's run properly. Al Horford unlocks that. On the other end of the floor, Al Horford unlocks your five-out attack. Makes your offense better. Then Marcus Smart increases the cumulative ball handling and passing ability on offense, and he gives you another offensive weapon or defensive weapon. So them coming back obviously was a huge uh, swing factor in this as well. You know, one thing I wanted to touch on really quick, because I, I don't think it's a coincidence necessarily that there have been this many blowouts in a row. So I have a theory. Now, these theories, they're, what I, I don't know what a theory is worth to you guys. I don't have any evidence to back this up, really. It's just what I think I'm seeing. But as the game has changed, as we've ditched the traditional built like a fridge power forward as we've ditched the traditional back to the basket, traditional center. And we've replaced that with another super athletic wing that can shoot pass and dribble and a center that's more mobile, probably a perimeter oriented center, right? As we've replaced those two positions, the overall foot speed of all of these teams is so much faster. The everyone's playing either four out one in or five out as opposed to three out two in the way they used to 10 years ago. Right. As a result of that, the job of covering ground on defense is much harder. And so I think everyone feeding off of their home crowd is helping in that department. That's why you're seeing so many home blowouts, although we saw Boston and, and Dallas rip off some road blowouts recently. But a huge part of it, and this is what I think is the biggest driving force, is rhythm. 
in traditional basketball, the average shot was way closer to the basket. And shots that are closer to the basket are notoriously higher percentage. They're notoriously shots that rely less on rhythm. In five-out basketball, it's a lot of dribble jump shots. It's a lot of long threes. It's a lot of more complicated offensive actions that are very much reliant on rhythm and confidence. And so what I think we're seeing is all of these teams going through super extended stretches where it's like, we either have it tonight or we don't. Like Boston's offense completely combusted in that second half of game one. And there was no reconciling that. Like it was the, the, like it was like that and the game was over. But then they come out tonight and they have that confidence. They have that swagger. They damn near hang 70. They do hang 70 points in the first half and they beat the hell out of you, right? Dallas's offense. We saw in game seven against Phoenix, Luka's got it going. Dinwiddie's got it going. Brunson's got it going. All the shooters got it going. We're kicking your ass. We're going to game one and we're going to talk about this in a little bit. Dallas got wide open looks and they just couldn't make them. And so I think that, that, that oscillating nature between your good side as a five-out team and your bad side as a five-out team is way more dramatic than your good side and bad side in traditional three-out, two-in, play-out-of-the-post basketball. So that's my theory. Again, take that for whatever that's worth. A couple of adjustments for Miami really quick. Because um, you, you're, you, you, you can't play this team straight up. You just don't have enough talent. But your best opportunity to stay alive in this series and to compete is to give yourself your offensive players the best chance to succeed because your defense it is what it is at this point right like you trust eric spolster to figure out a way to make boston struggle more offensively but when you're on offense it can't just be jimmy everyone has to be going for this to work ime udoka has demonstrated that he will drop under specific circumstances. And so Miami needs to find a way to explicitly attack that. Find out, and it appears to me, it's like anytime Tice is on the floor, which I don't even think he played tonight, or not much at least, anytime Robert Williams is on the floor, because they seem to run it with Robert Williams, those in those situations, and but they did it with Grant Williams too, and they did they did some switching with Grant Williams and Al Horford at the 4-5 too. Like again, I, I shared some of these clips on my Twitter feed. Like it doesn't, there doesn't seem to be much of a rhyme or reason to when the, the Celtics do that. It seems like when they feel like it or when they don't feel like it. But try to target those situations because that's your best opportunity to get looks for Tyler Harrell, Gabe Vincent, Max Drews, get their confidence going so that you're better offensively and then trust your defense to carry you on the other end. But there's not a lot of great uh, adjustment options for you. You did the same aggressive defense like picking up Tatum full court, pressing up into Jalen Brown, doing you did all the same things you did in the second half against Boston in game 1, they just didn't combust this time. Like I said, Miami is a really tough team that will cause problems for teams that aren't tough. But what did I tell you guys? I said Boston's tough and I expect them to respond and they did. All right guys, we are going to bring on Carson and we are going to get a little bit further into both of these series. Hey buddy. Hey, Jason, we certainly are. So obviously you broke down all of the keys to tonight's game, but let's broaden the scope a little bit here. We have FanDuel odds on the series overall, which Boston, they have at minus 230 to win. We don't have a game three spread, but given those odds, 
and just overall, who do you like in game three to go out and win? And who do you like in this series at this point? So for both series, I had Boston in six and Dallas in six, but I expected it to take a different path. I figured Boston would steal one in Miami, Mm -hmm. win games three and four, then possibly lose game five in Miami, then close out in six. I think Dallas is going to follow a very similar path to the Phoenix series. I expect them to lose again tomorrow. <laughs> and then I mm. think they'll win games three and four and then and continue along the way. The, with, with Boston, I think that they're going to win big in game three. I think that the, the this is going to be the the worst team that they've played in front of their home crowd yet in this postseason. Um, I get, I, I, we don't... Guys, go look at the numbers. Look at how successfully Brooklyn scored against this Boston defense. It's kind of wild. Now, relative to the regular season, it was great. Like I told you guys, like Boston basically dropped KD and Kyrie's regular season offense from about a 123 offensive rating to like a 114, so about a nine-point drop. And then they dropped the Bucks from about a 105 offensive rating in the regular season without Chris Middleton to about a 95 in that series without Chris Middleton, right? So about a 10 point drop in both series, right? But again, so much clouded our judgment about Brooklyn in that series because we just wanted to talk shit, right? About KD and Kyrie and all that stuff. So I actually think that Miami going into Boston is going to be a little bit of a buzzsaw. Like even if, I think they would have to shoot extremely poorly for that game to be close. So I would be on Boston. My guess, Carson, is the spread will be like six and a half or seven. Mm-hmm. In game three, and and I would be on Boston there because I think they'd win by fifteen to twenty. What do you think the probability is that Boston wins out from here and makes it a gentleman's sweep? Very high probability. That's why, I like, ser- I think they, I think they have series spreads on FanDuel, so you can get like the the smart money there would be like if you could get uh, uh, Boston minus one and a half games, because then if That's they win right and f- if they yeah. Perfect. So if you if you win in five, you're clear, and if they win in six, you're clear. That that, that would be the way that I would bet it. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like the way I look at it is game five in Miami would be a coin flip, and Miami very well could win if Boston brought their ugly side, and if Boston brought their good side, they'd close them out. All right. Well, let's move on from that series now and play a staple here at Hoops tonight. It's a game called That's What He Said. We've got a couple of fun quotes tonight. Both come from Draymond Green and the Draymond Green show here at The Volume. The first one, Draymond gave some thoughts on the job that Andrew Wiggins has done guarding Luka Doncic or did in game one, a task that frankly has seemed impossible for a lot of the playoffs in the home stretch of the regular season. Let's take a listen to what Draymond had to say about that. I know there's been this thing about, oh man, Luka had his worst shooting game in his postseason career. Andrew Wiggins played amazing defense. Uh, he picked him up 94 feet. He got into him. He didn't allow him to dictate the terms on his own pace. Jason, what do you think about that? What did you think of the job that Wiggy did on Luka in game one? So I, when I watched that video earlier today, which again, all of you guys listening, I'm sure all of you are already watching Draymond's content, but I, it's so awesome to get to hear directly from him. Um, so I, I missed this last night watching the game. And this is something that I, I encourage all of you guys that are listening that have ambitions of working in this business at some point, rewatch the games. It's just impossible to catch anything on the first watch, uh, everything on the first watch. And, you know, I caught a lot of things 
live, but one of the things I missed and that I caught almost immediately on my rewatch today was the effect, the cumulative effect that Andrew Wiggins had on Luca. Um, again, you know, I talked about before the series that there's nobody on Golden State that can guard Luca, and I think I think Andrew Wiggins falls in that category as well. But one of the things he did, and Draymond mentioned this, is he picked up Luca 94 feet. And with the exception of a handful of possessions were in transition, there were cross matches and stuff like that. Like before he even got across half court, he's just riding him all over the floor. And all that does is it just, it just wears you out. Like, don't get me wrong. It's going to wear Andrew Wiggins out too, because Luca's big and he's going to bump you all over the place and it's tough. But the flip side of that is like Andrew Wiggins, you're not depending on him for nearly as much on the offensive end of the floor. So you're willing to give that up, right? Andrew Wiggins did a phenomenal job in that game of just making life difficult for Luca. And ironically, one of my biggest uh, adjustments that I have for Dallas, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in a little bit, is just find a way to not have Luca bring the ball up the floor. And that's the advantage of all the ball handling that Dallas has. And I think they will have the ability to counter that. But again, like there's always to Luca's point or to Draymond's point, something that I've always agreed with, you know, in any sort of small sample size, yeah, shooting plays a role. We're going to talk about shooting later. We're going to talk about bad nights and good nights. But there's always a reason for why teams don't play well. Like, I th- I personally think that a good amount of why Dallas didn't play well is just unfamiliar- unfamiliarity. You grow so accustomed to playing against the team you're playing against every night for two weeks. And then you completely change. and go against an entirely different style, it's just different. You know, like Wiggins is not as long in terms of his wingspan as Mikhail Bridges, but he is a little quicker and he's stronger. And so even though Mikhail Bridges applied a lot of ball pressure to Luka Doncic, it's just different ball pressure. It's very different ball pressure. And you could tell that it had an impact on him. But again, like I, I, and we're going to get further into this in just a second, like there are a lot of reasons why things went the way they did, but a huge part of it, I thought, in game one was Wiggins just chipping away at Luka in the form of fatigue by just ball pressing the hell out of him throughout the entire game and and just the cumulative effect that that can have on a player. Well, first of all, Jason, it looks like you nailed the spread on the head. It has, it has actually been set at plus six and a half for game three of Celtics heat. So well done on that. Let's talk about Wiggins specifically for a second because he is such an interesting player and it feels like the discourse with him is always so volatile and he was so slandered for so long and then he was so effusively praised for adjusting and playing winning basketball and he was an all-star starter mostly because he's a warrior and because of some K-pop stands but nevertheless (laughs) and then because of that it swung back the other way and people were overly critical of him and he had a little bit of a rough stretch offensively but just overall how important do you think he is in this series and how highly do you value him overall as a basketball player? So in this series, he's vitally important because he's Luca's primary defender. And another huge detail is in game one, I don't know how consistent this will be in the series, but in game one, Andrew Wiggins put a decent amount of pressure on Luca trying to score. And like on, on rewatching film, like there were possessions where Andrew just brought the ball up the floor and was like, no need to run anything, guys. I'm just going at him and scored on Luca in isolation. Like that, that is audacity. It was one of my new go-to words. I tend to repeat words a lot, as you guys know. 
And like, but that's important. As terms of valuing him, I value him massively in his current role. Now, the reason why he's been so maligned is like he lacks audacity in a consistent sense, right? Like if he had, if I could take Dylan Brooks's conscience and put it into Andrew Wiggins's body, the dude be an all-star. But like Andrew goes from one day feeling like he's capable of being the best player on the floor to most nights walking in and comfortable being a role player. Whereas Dylan Brooks will walk into a game being the seventh best player on the floor and think it's yeah. my time to shine. You know what I mean? So like that's the difference right. in in the psyche between those two guys. And you know, it, obviously, if if Wiggins could channel that more frequently in that series, it'd be a huge swing. But he is vitally important because he's Luca's primary defender and. Again, this is an important detail. Again, anytime I talk about these concepts, whether it's drop. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Warm weather brings many outdoor activities. Happy hours after work, weekend hikes, pool parties, and family barbecues. With all that time spent in the sun, we're often not thinking about what it's doing to our hair. Those rays can seriously affect your scalp and hair, making right now the perfect time to start taking Nutrafol to help keep your hair healthy this summer. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster growing hair with less shedding. Thinning hair is different for men and women, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth doesn't cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your biology, life stage, and lifestyle factors. Physician formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole body health. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Get results you can run your fingers through. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T. R-A-F-O-L dot com promo code hoops. That's H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com promo code hoops. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, Come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Something I've always been a big believer in. When you try to take projects on yourself, you usually don't know what you're doing. You usually end up making mistakes, and it can be a big headache. And so not only can a professional from Angie get the job done more efficiently, but they also are people that you can support within your community as local businesses. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Consider Angie your hub 
for all your home improvement needs. They can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that will tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. And the app is free and easy to use. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Or switching. There's always complications within that. With like, for instance, Carson, in a drop, you know, Sometimes you can drop and go under the screen. Sometimes you can drop and go over the screen. Sometimes you can run a version of a drop where the the uh, the guy who's the screen defender is up at the level of the screen or even hedging and recovering or or sitting all the way back in the paint. Like there's always different variations of all these different things. Some teams offer help off the ball in screen and roll coverage, some teams don't, you know. Switching it's the same thing. Like you can run, you know, like the the Cavaliers, for instance, towards the end of the LeBron Kyrie era, were, were, were they did a ton of switching, but they were lazy with it, and they would just switch everything without even necessarily needing to. And and one of the things that I liked that Wiggins did last night is like if he would surrender the switch if he had to, then he fought like hell to not. And all it did is just eat more shot clock. And one of the things we've consistently talked about with Dallas is. When you work, force them to work late into the shot clock, then Luke is making those kickouts with only a handful of seconds on the shot clock, and there's not enough time for people to make an additional rotation. And it, it, part of the advantage of fighting through those switches and ball pressuring Luca all the way up the floor is by the time he gets to where he wants to kind of initiate offense, there's like 12 seconds on the clock, right? And so by the time he actually makes a move and gets by somebody, there's six or seven seconds left and you're, you're out of time. So like that's a huge value add. And by the way, that's something that doesn't manifest in the, in the box score. It's something that you have to watch the games to see. And, and it's, it's just one of those little details, one of the many factors that can swing a playoff series. All right, we've got another quote from Draymond here. Obviously, it was a pretty convincing game one victory for the Dubs in terms of the final score, but... Draymond spoke on an area in which he thinks the Warriors can do even better going forward and improve upon. Let's hear what he had to say. I walked away from that game saying there's a lot of things that we could do better. Now, granted, there's a lot of things that they can do better. But I think there are some things that we can really do better. And I also don't think we shot the ball very well either. And when I look at those things, that 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 really bode well for us. Um, you know. Steph Curry didn't have an incredible shooting night. Klay Thompson was one for four from three. Like, you know, we we can shoot a lot better. So, Jason, what are your thoughts on that when Draymond talks about that potential for shooting improvement from the Warriors? So, first of all, like, <laughs> I relate a thousand percent with his thought process there. I mean, I remember when I was playing in college all the time, I'd have a monster game and I'd be on the ride home thinking about all the shots I missed. You know, the truth, the, the truth, like uh, even, even recently, like I, I don't, I, I, I'm in Tucson, Arizona. I don't have much opportunity to play against high level basketball players. There was like a month ago, there was a, like a charity game where me and a bunch of older guys that are pretty out of shape got to play against the local junior college. And I was like, I was like, just ready for that because I was like, I finally get to play like some real basketball. And and it was so funny because I played really well. I had like 34 points. We won the game. And and literally I, I'm I was irritated for like three days 
about a possession towards the end where I had a chance to ice it because we ended up winning in overtime. And there was a possession at the end of regulation where I, I made a misread and didn't see a help defender and turned the ball over. And we ended up having to win the game in OT. And I was so pissed about that for weeks after. But that's completely irrational. I'm 30 years old. I don't even play basketball for a living anymore. <laughs> like there's no reason for me to there's no reason for me to feel that way. Like it just, it's just oh, like as a competitor, it's just the way you're wired. Like there's no such thing as good enough. And so I relate with Draymond looking at that situation and saying, Oh man, we could play so much better. Here's the thing. You can't play much better than you, than you played in that game, Draymond. I hate to break it to you. So I watched the film. You guys kicked their ass in almost every facet of the game, and you actually shot way better than that. And uh, there's metrics and video to prove that. So I wanted to break that down really quick. So uh, Golden State generated 14 open threes. That's the defender between four and six feet away. They consider that like lightly contested. On those, they only made three of them. Yeah, you didn't shoot well. Here's the thing. Dallas also had 16 open threes, so two more than you, and they only made three as well. So they actually shot a little bit worse than you in open threes. On wide open threes, Golden State only generated 12 of them, and they made six. So they shot 50% on wide open threes last night. Again, that's defender at least six feet away. So that's like you're butt naked on the perimeter all day to think about it, right? Then Dallas generated 28 wide open threes, defender at least six feet away, and they only made eight. So they generated more than twice as many wide open threes as you and only made two more. I And that was my big takeaway last night on the live, if you guys remember. Carson, I texted you about it during the game. We talked about it during the show. I was like, dude, it felt like Dallas was getting wide open shots. And they were. They right. were getting wide open shots. And I shared out the numbers and I've read them off to you. Basically, every role player for Dallas in this postseason run was shooting over 44% of wide open threes, except for Reggie Bullock, who's arguably their best shooter. And so like, it's an anomaly for Dallas to not shoot that well. So like, I, I think the biggest reason why Dallas has an opportunity to keep, th keep things closer and or to turn the series around is they did what they were supposed to do going into Golden State. They generated high quality shots. Now, there are a bunch of other things that Dallas has to do better, and we're going to get into that. But like to Draymond's point, and again, I totally understand why he feels the way he feels. I relate to it. I understand. That's why he's been so damn successful. Nothing is good enough for him. And that's the way you have to be if you really want to be great at something. But you shot a lot better than Dallas, like way better than Dallas. So that's just not a, a realistic uh, thing to look forward with. I will say, I don't know how much Draymond can relate to the 34 piece and being upset with yourself. Although he did have 32, 15, and 9 in a had, game seven of the finals. He had 30. Didn't he have 35 in game seven? I think it's 32, I think 15, it was and 9. I feel like I have that stat. All right. I'll check that as you, you we strike get no, no, along you, here. You strike me as you strike me as photographic memory guys. So I would I would believe that you're probably right. <laughs> I I can name you every Finals MVP ever right now if you give me the year. I do kind of have the photographic memory. All right, um, let's talk about what you just mentioned a little bit there. What are some of those key adjustments for the Mavs as they try to bounce back from that game one loss? So first and foremost. Uh, and I'm not even going to get into the weeds on this because there's too many things to talk about. Dallas's defense was terrible. They 
were not staying connected to shooters. Their rotations on the back line were awful. Luka pretty much mailed in the game defensively. Dallas just put on a defensive clinic in game seven against Phoenix and let go, let, like just took, let their foot entirely off the gas. So Dallas simply has to be way, way better defensively. So that's adjustment number one. And I trust Jason Kidd to figure that part out. Um, adjustment number two, don't play into Golden State strategy of ball pressuring Luka the length of the floor. Now, there's a downside to that because one of the advantages of having Luka bring the ball up the floor is he is very much a strangle the pace type of player. And he he's so methodical bringing the ball up the floor deliberately to just suck the life out of the arena and out of the other team and to just and to just make it feel like you're stuck playing his game. So if you take the ball out of his hands, there's a downside there. But there's no reason why you can't have Jalen Brunson or Spencer Dinwiddie bring the ball up the floor and not have to stress necessarily about having to deal with that ball pressure. And you can tell them like, hey, once you get the ball to Luca here, you know, 30 feet from the rim on the right wing, then you could take your time, right? But, you know, you might, Andrew Wiggins is is physically equipped for ball pressure. We just talked about how he's quicker, a little bit shorter than Mikhail. I, I don't actually think he's shorter than Mikhail Bridges, he's just not as long. Uh, but he's a better athlete. He's quicker. You know, he, he's good at ball pressure. There are guys on Golden State that are not great at ball pressure. Like they're, like I, you're not going to waste Steph's energy by having him pick up 94 feet because you need him for offense. So whoever Steph guarding, bring the ball up the floor. Hell, like there's no reason why you can't have Kevon Looney's man bring the ball up the floor when he's on the floor. Just find ways to avoid Luca having to deal with that ball pressure. And last but not least, like knock down your open shots, man. Like the goal of your offense is to create those shots, step into them confidently, and knock them down. Those are my major adjustments for Dallas. Obviously. Things have gone very well for the Mavs overall up to this point. They are among the last four teams in the NBA still standing. But when you talk about the importance of alleviating that pressure from Luka, long-term, as they continue to try to build out a championship-caliber roster, as good as Brunson is and as brilliant as some of the moments from Dinwiddie are, although there are equally horrible moments from him often, do you think that that second true perimeter star initiator a guy who can alleviate that pressure and really you know attack defenses on his own and play make for others and command stretches of the game is that the biggest need for the Mavs alongside Luka absolutely and you know guys like it's only gonna get harder like if they're I I think Dallas has a legitimate chance to win the title I I expect them if they do get to the finals to lose to Boston but it would they would have fighting chance right the the thing is, is that specifically with with the way that the league has become more talented at the top. So, for instance, like LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to be back in this picture next year. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are going to be back in this picture next year. Like Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are going to be back and bringing the league MVP back to a point where he has more talent to deal with. You know, even in the Eastern Conference, like, Philly went out softly this year, but they're going to have some stuff figured out. Like, chances are Kevin Durant's going to have a better basketball team around him next year than he did this year. Like, and the same the same thing that don't make the mistake that Golden that uh, Milwaukee made, where you won the title and then you thought you were good enough and you let go of PJ Tucker and then PJ Tucker very well might have been a swing piece in that Celtics series, right? So, like the way I look at it is like, even even if Dallas won the championship, at a certain point. You have to understand that the league, even though it seems so top-heavy right now, there are still teams that 
would be in this picture, great players that would be in this picture that aren't because of things that didn't go their way. Even the Chris Middleton thing, it's an injury, right? So like my point is, is like as good as Dallas has looked, even as a bona fide championship contender, even as Luca has ascended into true superstardom, you don't have enough talent. And if you sign Jalen Brunson to a long-term deal, that could be an issue in the long run. And so I don't know what the answer there is. Like, I don't know if it's make moves on the margins to stockpile draft picks so that maybe in the future you can flip Brunson and someone else and a bunch of picks and stuff for a player, a disgruntled star or what the deal is. But eventually Luca's going to need a real right-hand man, a dependent, a dependable one. Because Brunson, who's a little bit more dependable than Spencer Dinwiddie, is still not dependable on this level. Mm-hmm. And if you consistently surround Luca with guys who are kind of, you know, inconsistent, then it, it's going to get him beat as things get tougher, especially in upcoming seasons. Yeah, I completely agree. And we just haven't seen a team win a title in a long time with one offensive star caliber player. Like, I think you would have to go back to Dirk and maybe some people would argue the 2019 Raptors, but they had at least two quasi star offensive caliber guys with Lowry and Siakam alongside their supernova talent. So it just always seems like a really tall task as incredible of a one man offense as Luca is. It just really is not done very often at all. Let's flip this to the Warriors here. What are the key adjustments that they need to make? So there's not much because, again, contrary to what Draymond said, they played pretty damn good in game one. <laughs> um, you know, and there's always a give and take with that stuff, too. That's the funny thing, too. Like, he was talking about, oh, Clay Thompson can shoot better. Steph Curry can shoot better. Yeah, like, but typically what happens is on the nights that they shoot better, then Wiggins won't make as many shots, right? Or Jordan Poole will have an off night. Like, it's always... That's what's so great about Golden State's cumulative offensive talent is you can afford to have guys having poor shooting nights and other guys will come have better shooting nights. I thought they played a damn near perfect defensive game, but there are two things. So Golden State averaged 17 wide open threes allowed through the first two rounds of the playoffs. 28 is way too many. 44 open to wide open shots allowed for Dallas. That's going to get you beat in this series. So they need to polish up some of their three point rotations, chasing around shooters off of help. And then this is a, a big one that I that I I actually I can't remember who I saw make this suggestion. You know who it might have been was Haralabov Vulgaris. But it was I thought it was genius. So Dallas plays at an extraordinarily slow pace. They were dead last in pace this season. When they secure a defensive rebound, they throw the ball to Luca and they slowly work the ball up the floor. They very rarely push the ball in transition. So, Golden State has to do, in my opinion, this is another another way for Golden State to add to their you know advantages in this series. Do what you did to, Me- to Memphis throughout that entire series. Crash the offensive glass like hell. There's a main you know when 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 teams are setting up transition defense, there's usually a balance. We literally call it floor balance as coaches, right? Like you want to have, you never want to have too many players along the baseline because a missed shot will screw you in transition defense, right? So typically that's why you'll have like kind of like a wheel. Guys will rotate around. And even when guys are replacing in spots, you always want two two guards. That's That's why they used to call them guards. That's literally where the name came from. But you want two guys that are back 
so that when the shot goes up, you can begin your transition defense. And then typically, you decide how many guys you want to crash. Really good transition teams that push the ball in transition, so like Golden State, for instance, like Dallas can't waste a ton of effort chasing offensive rebounds because if they do, they will compromise their defense on the back end in transition against a really good transition defense or transition team in Golden State. But Golden State might be able to get away with having their entire front line crash. They might be able to have Draymond crash and Otto Porter Jr. crash and Kevon Looney crash and Andrew Wiggins crash and just have Steph and Clay or Jordan, whoever is in the backcourt, just have them get back on defense because they just simply have way too many, uh, uh, they have way too many uh, opportunities there that they're, they're kind of, they're too concerned with their transition defense right now when they don't really need to be. And so another little adjustment for Golden State is crash the hell out of the offensive glass with the intention of, um, with understanding that you're not going to give up anything in transition on the back end. All right, guys, that is all we have for tonight. As always, I sincerely appreciate your guys' support. Again, if you uh, go to my Twitter feed at underscore Jason LT, it did a video breaking down a lot of the things that I was talking about with the Celtics heat. You can kind of see some visual examples of the things that I'm talking about there. At some point in this series, I'll do something similar for this Warriors Mavericks series. I just typically like to key in on a concept. So I'll wait till I see a concept that I find to be particularly interesting. As always, um, remember to like this video. That goes a long way to helping us. I would sincerely appreciate that. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel. Uh, starting tomorrow, um, we will not be live for the next three nights, but I'll still have video breakdowns. Still will get into the same topics that I've been doing in the live show. Just stay tuned for about a half hour after the final buzzer of the games and come to our YouTube channel there and you will see full-length clips in their entirety where you can see this type of breakdown and then we'll be back to our normal live shows on Monday. All right, guys, I will see you tomorrow night. The Volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Hey, it's Kevin Hart. In this basketball season, Chase Freedom Unlimited is helping me cash back all my game tickets. Plus, tickets for 23 of my biggest fans to cheer me on while I enjoy the game. I appreciate the support, people. Eat that pretzel. This will never get old. Use more napkins. Okay, this is starting to get old. Say the tagline. Cash back like a pro with Chase Freedom Unlimited. Chase, make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, Yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.